It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. This is Trey. Thank you for joining us for another Thursdays with Mary Langston and episodic guest appearances by me, at least until she finds someone else is able to take some time off and try to answer these questions, which I love because they make me think. And this week is no exception because um, I love all these questions. So we'll see which ones Mary Langston decides to go with. How are you, Mary Langston? Hey, Trey, I'm doing great. How are you? I've got no complaints at all. Thank you. I'm so glad to hear that. Thank you for having me today. You're you're welcome. <laughs> I, is there like a pool of applicants for me to pick through? I, I, <laughs> you never know. You never know. Now, do you no, have any sport, I, I, do you have any sports we need to know of? Uh, sports. Yeah, this is a really really busy time for sports. You know, the College World Series starts. Women's U.S. Open golf tournament just ended. The Curtis Cup just ended with U.S. Women. One, the men's U.S. Open mm-hmm. is coming up. Recruiting always. I'm following, you know, Shane Beamer and my beloved South Carolina Gamecocks on the recruiting trail. This mm-hmm. is uh, NBA Finals, which, you know, the Lakers didn't even make the playoffs, so I don't really care. But I know a lot of people do. I'm just not one of them. <laughs> but between college baseball and golf, um, you know, Mary Langston, June and July are the two months that I just kind of have to survive. This is what mm-hmm. is what I tell Terry. I just have to survive because football's coming in August if I can make it that long. Mm-hmm. But there's no college basketball. College baseball is over, at least for me, because South Carolina did not have a great year. They didn't make the regionals. There are, I think, four SEC teams among the eight in the College World Series. So, but, you know, I'll be gone when the College World Series is on, so I won't be able to watch that. I'll be, uh, I'll be away from a television. Uh, mm-hmm. But the U.S. Open's coming up. That's big. And I just got to, you know, I know this is a lot more than you asked for, and <laughs> you're not my therapist, but I've got a – my therapist actually won't take my calls anymore. I have to hang on until college football starts. And that's all Mm -hmm. I'm trying to do. Mm -hmm. Well, we're going to hang on with you. And thank you for that update. You don't even know when college football starts. So that that is not. (laughs) That's why I have you. You uh, are going to tell Terry and myself and all the listeners when all that starts, although they probably know. Yeah, they I do. <laughs> and the other two of you don't care. So why would I tell y'all we, something that neither one of you care about? We care about your happiness. And if it falls on that, we will be all excited about it. Well, make no mistake, <laughs> it does. So it rises and falls with college football. Mm-hmm. It, you go ahead and put any doubt out of your mind. Well, what brings him happiness? That does. <laughs> well noted. Well, we have a lot of questions, so I guess we better get started. We'll start with our first question, and it comes from Doug in Texas. He writes, is there a reason that Chief Justice Roberts has not used a writ of mandamus to require the attorney general to enforce the U.S. code addressing intimidation of judges, jurists, etc.? 
Well, first of all, congratulations on pronouncing the writ of mandamus, which took me three <laughs> That's years. Thanks to, to you, by the way. No, no, it took me three years of law school to learn how to pronounce it, and I'm still not real sure. It has a little rhythm to it. It does. I mean, like a lot of Latin, or there are a lot of Latin words in the law, which is why my father made me take Latin. Mm -hmm. uh, me too. For a long time, by the way. So a writ of mandamus uh, or an order of compulsion, an order to compel a writ, first of all, is an extraordinary remedy. And what I mean by that is there's nothing in front of the court right now. There's no case in front of the court. There's no controversy pending. And the Supreme Court doesn't just like read the newspaper and say, well, this is an interesting topic. Why don't we get involved in and it there has something has to be pending in front of the court and there is nothing pending. I don't ever see any chief justice ordering a statute to be enforced uh, for a number of reasons, because, number one, the statute may or may not be constitutional. I mean, how are you going to order a statute to be enforced if a year from now someone's going to challenge the constitutionality of that statute? And you're going to have to decide whether or not the statute passes what we call constitutional muster. So, I mean, how are you going to do that? How are you going to be objective about whether or not the statute is even constitutional when a year before you issued a writ telling people they had to enforce it? And, and what does that even, I mean, I don't know what it means to enforce it. I mean, is the chief justice going to order local law enforcement to make an arrest? They can't do that. Are they going to order federal law enforcement to make an arrest? They can't do that. Are they going to order state or local prosecutors or federal prosecutors to prosecute a case? They can't do that. And let's assume they could do that. I mean, what if the facts aren't there for each case that we read about or hear about? I mean, I am always fascinated and this, this is far beyond the question that Doug asked, which is a really, really good question. But I can tell you in South Carolina, there was this movement to have a no-drop policy, that if certain cases were charged by the police, the prosecutor could not drop the case or dismiss the case. What if you have the wrong person? Can I drop it then? What if there's like a total failure of evidence? Can I drop it then? Or do I have to violate my oath and go in front of a jury and prosecute someone that I don't think committed the crime. So I do get the frustration. But if the facts aren't there, I don't know how in the world a chief justice or an associate justice is going to play the role of cop and prosecutor and decide which laws are enforced and which ones are not. And by the way, both sides kind of get this issue wrong, both political sides. Both sides like some laws and they don't like other laws. And they want the laws they like enforced, and they don't want the laws they don't like not enforced. So the remedy is really not to get the judicial branch involved to play enforcer and prosecutor. The remedy is to get the executive branch to do what it is supposed to do, which is enforce the law. Or if the law is not constitutional, then to get the legislative branch to write one that is. I mean, if the chief justice wanted to do something, he could plus up court security to include protection at homes um, and for the justices as they travel about. But a president cannot order a chief justice to do something, and a chief justice cannot order a president to do something. 
And the president is the head of the executive branch, not the attorney general. The president is. And that's why we have co-equal, co-terminous branches of government. I do get the frustration. It is hard for all of us to sit there and think, well, wait a minute. We have a statute on the books. It's not being enforced. But that's true in many jurisdictions every day of the week. And the remedy is not to get a judge to order the cops and prosecutors to do their jobs. Because again, and I know I sound like a broken record, but if it's a good song, it doesn't really matter. We can listen to it all day long. It depends on whether or not the facts are there. So I, I see these folks outside Justice Kavanaugh's home. Are every Is every one of them violating that code section? Are half of them doing it? Are two of them doing it? Are the ones across the street doing it, but the ones in the on the sidewalk right in front of his house, are they not doing it? All of these are fact-specific questions. And you know who decides whether or not the law has been broken? You know who gets to decide that in our culture? The jury. That's who decides. Cops charge, prosecutors prosecute, and juries adjudicate. So there is always frustration. And I said this, and I know nobody is listening at this point. Mary Langston is probably gone too. But as you can tell, this hits a nerve with me, this whole lack of enforcement. I remember being in Congress. We were talking about the lack of enforcement of something. And I warned the people then, you may today like the fact that a law is not being enforced. You may like it. Tomorrow, you're going to cry out that a different law be enforced. But once you weaken the law, you weaken it across the board. So I don't know why the attorney general is not prosecuting that code section. There is a specific code section that deals with trying to intimidate judges and justices. There's a specific code section. If, if his position is that that violates the First Amendment, then he needs to say so. But to sit there and not enforce a law, that is on the attorney general. And therefore, it is on the president who picked that attorney general. And quite frankly, it is also on the United States senators to confirm that attorney general. But John Roberts can't do a single thing about Merrick Garland not doing his job, just like Merrick Garland can't do a single thing if he perceives that John Roberts is not doing his job. That's why we have three branches. They're co-equal. They're co-terminus. Well, thank you, Trey. And thank you, Doug, still for the question. I'm you, still here. That was okay. great. Yeah, well, it was something. I'm not sure great's the right <laughs> word. Well, it was. Well, our next question is from Miss Doris, and she writes, does Congress and their staff get gas allowances every month? Well, you can answer this question better than I can. I don't I, know about that. <laughs> well, you, uh, not when I was there. How about when you were there? Did you get a gas allowance? No, sir. No, what you get is what everyone else gets, which is reimbursed for work-related travel. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, you have no choice. You cannot not be reimbursed for work-related travel because there is a separate rule provision that says you cannot use your own private money for office expenses. So mm -hmm. I could not, for instance, no matter how badly I may have wanted to, I could not buy a copier for our office in Washington, I couldn't replace the heating and air conditioning system. Instead, I had to sit there and watch you wear a parka every <laughs> single day, even in July, because you were freezing. Mm -hmm. So, yes, you're reimbursed for work-related miles and travel. But that is true 
in every branch of government. That is true. That was true when I was a U.S. attorney. It was true when I was a district attorney. The added little kicker when it comes to Congress is when I was a district attorney, if I didn't want to submit my miles, I didn't have to. When you're in Congress, you don't have that choice because you cannot use personal money to kind of plus up your office. And the reason for that, I mean, I'm sure some people are out there saying, well, why not? Well, because the fact that you're rich does not mean your office should give better services than another member of Congress who maybe is not rich. Mm-hmm. We get a budget and we spend that budget on staff and we spend that budget on supplies and we spend that budget on office leases back in South Carolina. We had two offices. Gas allowances, no. Uh, do you get reimbursed for your work related travel at the per mile rate? Uh, set by the IRS, you do, and you have to take it. Uh, otherwise, you know, that to me is a reimbursement, not allowance, but that's the best answer I can come up with doors for that question. That sounds good. I still remember us being very careful with all of that. Well, you're careful with everything, Mary Langston. So that, that <laughs> it just really... took me back. I completely forgot about us, you know, logging everything, but you had to be very tedious in that process. Yeah, I, 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 have a lot of idiosyncrasies. I, I'm I am pretty obsessive compulsive when it comes to getting that stuff right. But I was also on the House Ethics Committee, mm-hmm. and I saw what could happen. Um, obviously, some members intentionally violate the rules. That's a terrible thing, mm-hmm. and some members inadvertently violate the rules. But that's also not a good thing. So, yeah, I. I it's it, Congress is weird because even if you said to yourself, you know what, I want to. Well, I remember when I was a district attorney, we we're having budget cuts. And so obviously I'm going to buy my own office supplies. I, I'm not submitting reimbursements for folders and legal pads when we've got people taking furlough days. Mm-hmm. But in Congress, you, you could not do that. Even if you wanted to do that, you could not because you cannot use private money for office-related expenses. Mm-hmm. So, yes, you get reimbursed for your miles. I remember going to Montana with my colleague at the time who represented the entire state of Montana, which if you've never been to want Montana, let me tell you, it is a very big state. Mm-hmm. So he had to drive the, his, the entire state was his district. So if he wants to go to an Eagle Scout, ceremony and billings and then he wants to go to whitefish and then he wants to go to helena i think all those cities are in montana uh mm-hmm. it's it's a giant state so but even if he wanted to you know say look i'm gonna pay for my own gas he couldn't do it so we were lucky our district was small geographically compact mm-hmm. same number of people but geographically compact uh, no gas allowance, um, but reimbursements for sure. Yes. Well, thank you, Trey. And thank you, Doris, for your question. We're going to hold it right there. Be back right after this. 
I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Our next question comes from Lynn, and she asks, how can we stop the media from giving all the attention to persons who do mass shootings? Uh, we can demand it. We can cancel the subscription for the papers that do it. We can w quit watching the shows that do it. I mean, the media, the press is free, which means they're free to do things that we don't like, and we are free to ignore them. Um, I think it is terrible to make these killers household names. I think mm -hmm. it is terrible. And I try really hard not to name them. I mean, I even did it in court, even for not mass killers and not serial killers. I called them the defendant. I do not want to reward people for abysmal behavior. But the truth is most Americans can name more serial killers or mass killers than they can Nobel laureates. So first thing we got to do is get our get ourselves to stop giving them attention beyond the horrificness of the crime and the punishment. You know, you go on Netflix or BritBox or any little subscription content providers. There are lots and lots of miniseries about serial killers. Why, why, I don't know why we're so fascinated. Man, I myself am fascinated with psychology and the crime of psychology. But I mean, there are people like writing serial killers letters, wanting to have a relationship with them. I just I find that to be like an evolutionary misstep. Mm -hmm. uh, someone, you know, walking along the path of human advancement tripped and fell because uh, there is no explanation for wanting to have a relationship that I can tell with someone like a Jeffrey Dahmer or some other serial killer from the past. Mm -hmm. They're just they're terrible people. Well, thank you for answering that question. And thank you, Lynn, for your question. Our last question comes from Christopher in California. And he writes, I understand the need for red flag laws and universal background checks, but I can't understand the pushback on outlawing assault and automatic weapons. Is resistance to one party or if so, why? Uh, well, I'm going to try to answer this question as straight down the middle as I can. Uh, there was a ban on assault weapons and the studies of that ban subsequently showed no significant decrease in mass killings while that ban was in effect. Uh, but even saying that, you have to define what an assault weapon is. I mean, quite candidly, any weapon can be an assault weapon from a, a five shot revolver to an AR-15. So assault weapon we have to be pretty clear about what we mean by that. Does it mean magazine capacity? Does it mean the size of the projectile or bullet? Fully automatic weapons are already illegal, period, period. New paragraph. Fully automatic weapons are already illegal. So there's a difference between an automatic weapon and an assault weapon. Automatics, to me, and if I'm wrong about this, I want somebody to correct me. I'm not a gun expert. I did prosecute them. I know a little bit about them, but I got a ton of friends that are experts in them. And some of our listeners may be. To me, an automatic means you pull the trigger once and the projectiles keep firing. 
that's already legal. In fact, that was the first case I ever prosecuted in federal court was possession of a fully automatic machine gun. Semi-automatics, I think you got to pull the trigger every time. It doesn't mean you can't, you know, wreak a lot of carnage and havoc. Of course you can. It does not take much to pull a trigger. But that, to me, is the difference between fully automatic and semi-automatic. Then you get into magazine capacities. How many projectiles can a magazine hold? And again, we're talking about, you know, some long guns. We're talking about pistols, not revolvers here. Then you get the size and the lethality of the projectile. There are certain bullets that are just designed to do as much damage as they possibly can when they hit the target. Is it unique to one party? Uh, I would say, again, trying to be as fair as I can about it, the Republican Party would have you focus more on the shooter and less on the weapon. The Democrat Party would have you focus more so on the weapon and the characteristics of those weapons. You know, Christopher mentioned red flags laws. They've been in the news a little bit lately. Some states already have them. You know, I had a dear old friend. He's been a friend of mine for a long, long time, and he owns a lot of guns. Like shocking. He's a gun collector. Mm. He called me the other night. He was really upset about red flag laws and due process. And we, we had a long conversation. And I'll tell you right now, he's a he's a I can't tell you the number of guns. I mean, he's a collector. I would rather him have a thousand guns than some people I know have a plastic fork. Mm. He is responsible. He's never going to use that weapon for anything other than hunting or self-defense. I don't care whether he has one weapon or a thousand weapons. He's just, he's never going to hurt someone with one of his weapons. You know, that said, and he was concerned about the red flag laws. So we had this conversation. It is already unlawful for someone who's been adjudicated mentally ill to possess a gun, period, any gun, period. How are you adjudicated mentally ill? By a court. That is your due process. It's against the law for felons. Anyone who's been convicted of a crime for which they could have received more than one year, already against the federal law for felons to possess any kind of gun. Assault weapon, non-assault weapon, a two-shot pistol, can't have any firearm. How do you become a felon? You're convicted or you plead guilty. That is your due process. So when I hear red flag laws, I do think due process, but I also think you know it's against the law for people who are fugitives from justice to possess firearms. It's against the law for people that are subject to restraining orders. All of that already, some of those don't even include convictions, but they all include some level of due process. And when I say due process, let's assume, Mary Langston, that you decided, you know what? Trey only has a couple of guns. He doesn't even know where they are right now, but he's got a couple of guns. And we think he's crazy because he's crazy. So we're going to go in front of a judge and have those guns removed. That's what red flag laws are. We're going to intervene. So I have the right to appear in court and say, you know what? I'm not crazy. I'm not crazy. I'm not going to hurt myself. I'm not going to hurt anybody else. That's what people mean by due process. Do I have a chance to go in and correct whatever is being said about me? And clearly we already have that, but it's been against the law for since before you were born, Mary Langston, for someone who's been adjudicated mentally ill to possess a gun. How are you adjudicated mentally ill? A judge has to say so after due process. So the other thing, you know, not to dwell on it too much, universal background checks. This is one that as a former gun prosecutor, I really I, I don't understand. 
So a convicted felon, Mary Langston, cannot go to a store, a federally licensed firearms dealer, and cannot pass a background check because they're a convicted felon. Mm -hmm. So why should you be able to go to somebody's den or living room or garage and buy a gun? You're you're still a convicted felon. Mm -hmm. As soon as I say that, though, then I want to know, okay, if we pass universal background check, and there may be a thousand reasons to do it. Is it going to stop a mass killing? Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean you shouldn't do it, even if the answer is no. But for people who want to see an end or a mitigation of mass killings, they want, they want there to be a causal connection between what we're doing and the desired outcome. So we'll see. Um, universal background checks are not part, I don't think, of what the Senate has worked on red flag laws are the the devil will be in the due process details. But when you hear due process, just understand there's not a single right you have that cannot be taken away from you after due process, including your right to live. The state can put you to death if you commit certain offenses and after you've been afforded due process, the state can put you in a psychiatric hospital after due process, the state can take your home and level it for a highway after due process and just compensation. So the key is really the due process and what that looks like and what the evidentiary burden is. But I'll keep watching it, Christopher. You do the same. We'll check back in. Thank you, Trey, for breaking that down for us. And thank you, Christopher, and all our listeners. Well, thank you, Mary Langston. And uh, unless you get a better offer, I look forward to continuing (laughs) these well, it's your podcast, so I- mm, it's yours, but I love doing it and I feel so honored to be a part of it. You are easily honored. If you feel an honor and and asking me questions and trying to stay awake during the answer, <laughs> then you are easily honored. Well, it's interesting to hear what people are thinking through and what questions people have and in your answers and your approach to them. Well, just do me a favor. Don't ever fact check me, okay? Because you know I can't survive <laughs> one of those. But we're going to end the same way we began with congratulating you on uh, your magnificent pronunciation of a writ of mandamus, <laughs> which there's no reason in the world for you to know what that is. Uh, but now you do. And there, you can dazzle all your friends with that. There was definitely some Google in that. But I did want to end on one thing, Trey. I wanted to say happy Father's Day to you and to those out there who are father-like figures, too. Um, Thank you for being another father figure in my life. And I hope everyone has a good week. Well, that's so sweet, Mary Langston. But you know what my follow up is going to be, which is (laughs) what what did you get me? I mean, all that's great. Nice. And and I appreciate all that. But whoever says it's the thought that counts, uh, it's not really. It's the gift. So it is coming. It is coming. And I think you'll like it. It's very small. Take it back. Very small. I'm going to, whatever it is, I'm going to take it back and donate <laughs> it to a charity in your name. So do not do that. But thank you. I tell people all the time that ask me about Mary Langston, I say she's like a kid, except she listens. Well, so, that's very kind of you. Well, parents know what I mean by that. I mean, <laughs> you love all your kids equally, but some listen more than others do. So I hope. Uh, Your father has a great Father's Day, and my dad will be playing in a golf tournament like we always do on Father's Day. And Mm -hmm. uh, my happiness will rise and fall with how well I putt. Well, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed, and it's okay to go light some candles and whisper a few prayers. (laughs) 
we might do that too. All righty. You take care of yourself and we'll, uh, we'll see everybody next week. Sounds great. Have a good week. Bye-bye. Please subscribe, rate, or review this podcast on Apple Podcast or at foxnewspodcast.com. You've been listening to the Trey Gowdy Podcast on the Fox News Podcast Network. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear Podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.